I'll say, bless the Lord, and if you'll say, oh, my soul, bless the Lord, bless his holy name. Uh, thanks, guys. I'm reminded, singing that hymn as a kid in scratchy dress clothes next to my brother, and our competition was always to see if you could sing the whole chorus in one breath. Um, we, we had to make Christmas Eve services interesting. Um, I'm still convinced to this day that Chad cheated and just made his mouth go like this while I was desperately gasping for air on the floor, um, trying to praise the Lord. But just a reminder, uh, breathe. Um, it, it can be busy and broken out there sometimes, and you can be busy and broken, but we want this place to be a refreshing and healing reminder of the love of Jesus. I'm Chris, I'm the pastor here at Kairos, um, and this place is our honest and unique attempt to love God and love each other, and I'm so glad you decided to join us. Psalm 25:10 says this, all the ways of the Lord are steadfast and faithful for those who keep his covenant and his commands. I just wanna remind you tonight that the Lord is steadfast and faithful. And for some of you here tonight, that will mean you'll get to encourage someone because you're living in a time where that's really evident that the Lord is steadfast and faithful. For some of us, we'll need to swallow our pride, humble ourselves, and kindly ask for someone to encourage us and remind us that the Lord is steadfast and faithful because it's not so evident. But I can't think of a better time of the year uh, to acknowledge and try to receive the steadfast love and faithfulness of God than Christmas or Advent. Um, Advent, I can remember uh, like it was yesterday that there was someone in my life who encouraged me to start using the word Advent um, as Christian language for the Christmas season. Um, I didn't grow up with a liturgical calendar. Um, I was, really wasn't sure what Advent was. It sounds like a creative design company. Um, <laughs> but they let me know that it was a Latin word that simply means the coming. And so Advent is a time when we join our faith with our ancestors and we remember the collective and historical longing and yearning for the promised Christ child. It's when we can enter in with them and celebrate that thousands of years find their culmination and consummation in the birth of Jesus. And it's a place where we can come and be reminded that God is truly with us. And so Advent simply means the coming, and that's what we'll celebrate here. Um, and tonight we'll look at maybe a familiar passage, and maybe it's the first time you've heard it. So if you're new with us, thanks for being here. If you're here just considering the claims of Christ or skeptical of the institutional church at large, and you're just in here going, I'm just dipping my toe in the water to see if you guys are trustworthy and this Jesus you're talking about is actually real. I'm so glad you're here, and I pray that you would have an Advent moment where Christ comes and reveals himself to you and compels himself uh, for you to realize that he is steadfast and faithful, and that in his covenant and in his commands is where we truly find life and liberty for the human soul. So I'm gonna ask Jandy to come up and read our scripture passage. For us tonight, we'll be in Luke, and we'll start in verse 26. And as she comes and she reads, I want you guys to listen in um, to the response of Mary 
as the angel announces the advent or the coming of Christ in this unpredictable and unprecedented way that's both dangerous and delightful. Listen in as the word of the Lord is read. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary said, answered the angel, since I'm a virgin. The angel said, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, who is going to have a child in her age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary said. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. I will say the word of the Lord, and you will say, thanks be to God. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Jesus, would you go before us and make a way in this text? Would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear? And collectively we say, speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. Amen. So we got to hear that earth-shaking, groundbreaking, history-making passage where the announcement of how Jesus would arrive here on earth was uttered. And in just those short verses, you have uh, an angelic messenger, you have divine incarnation, and you have Jesus arriving in, a, in the scene in a way that no one could have possibly predicted. And Mary's response to all this, Mary's response to the fact that an angel had discovered a poor teenage virgin from a no-name town in the backwoods of Galilee that she would bring about the promised Messiah. May it be with me as you have said. I think there's so much grit and glory in this passage that if we skim past it too quickly, we'll miss it. I love what Calvin Miller says. He says, sometimes I think my Catholic brothers and sisters make too much of Mary, but sometimes I think my Protestant brothers and sisters are guilty of not making enough of her. And in this passage, we find that this incredibly ordinary girl will wind up becoming the conduit for God's grace and glory as he incarnates his son Jesus through her. Um, I love what one author says, uh, the Christmas 
message comes explicitly because of the willingness of the Father and the willingness of ordinary people to obey God's claim on their life. And Mary's life, as she knows it, once this announcement is made, is basically over. Probably a small town, simple girl, from meager means, who is finally excited to be engaged to her high school sweetheart, and he's got a decent job, bless the Lord, and maybe they'll start a family one day. And now she will be misinterpreted as someone who has been unfaithful to her betrothed and will have a baby out of wedlock and will seemingly claim religious fanaticism for why she is pregnant. But these are the extraordinary costs of the gospel. That there is the privilege of service, but there is also profound sacrifice that is required of us. Mary comes here, fully favored of God. I love that the first words out of the angel's mouth are greetings. You who are highly favored by God. God's favor found this inconsequential female figure in the pages of history. And if that's true, I think God's favor can find you and us again tonight. Um, yeah, it, 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 it's difficult because for many of the prayer cards that we receive and some of the circumstances that we know you're facing, I know the last thing that you're thinking about this Christmas season is that God's favor will find us. But I'm here tonight just to read a, a text that is central to our faith and simply remind you that his name is Emmanuel. He's God with us. And that regardless of the circumstance you're facing, if God is with us, then who can be against us? And that his favor has found us, and his name is Jesus. So God's favor can find you, whether you're in the midst of triumph or tragedy. God's favor can find you, whether you're in the midst of brokenness or betrayal. God's favor can find you if you're in the midst of unemployment or gainful employment. God's favor can find you if you're lonely or you're feeling lovely because of relationships. God's favor can find us, even for those of us who are overwhelmed and those of us who feel underwhelmed about how life is turning out. God's favor can find us. But I think that term can be a little bit misleading sometimes by the way that we hear it or interpret us or the way it interprets, we interpret it. Um, and quite simply tonight, I think what I wanna remind you about in this text and in our lives, and for those of us who have decided to follow Christ, favor ain't fair. Now, I, <laughs> I love that phrase. Now, if you'll give me just a little bit of leeway here, I need to describe the etymology about how I came to that phrase and why I abuse it so much in my life on a consistent basis. So we were doing morning prayers with the Kairos team one morning and Boggs had a buddy who uh, was, uh, I think, leading music at an event. Is that, that, it? Is that correct? Um, the punchline is so overwhelming that the details get vague to me sometimes. <laughs> but they were at a conference and there was a minister there who was preaching. Um, 
And let's just say they were preaching a lopsided gospel at best, heresy at worst, but they were trying to implore the congregation and their punchline was favor ain't fair. Leading up to that was this person trying to get the congregation to give to help fund their private plane for their ministry. And the punchline to that was favor ain't fair. Now, a normal rational pastor would hear that and feel some sort of moral outrage, calmly and thoughtfully, theologically articulate why that's not biblically accurate. And while God is not against possessions or prosperity, it is not a guarantee of the gospel. Um, But I'm not one of those pastors. And so what I did is I did something that I'm very familiar with, which is I think I will use my sarcasm and passive aggressiveness to actually display to you the futility of this statement. And so favoring fair got deep down into my bones and I just started using it to humiliate and insult people. (laughs) So anytime any one of our friends or acquaintance showed the slightest bit of acquiring material resources, however meager, I would just shout at them, favor ain't fair. (laughs) And it would shame them into the goodness that apparently they had just received. Um, I I have to confess to you, this replaced my last phrase, which was can't hide money, um, which is great as well, especially when you hang out with people with limited budgets. Um, So for instance, Matt Purdom, our discipleship pastor, who is one of the most sacrificial, hardworking, dedicated people who serves this church, serves this country in the army, finally decides that after his platoon of four kids has waged war on his minivan and the wheels are falling off, there's no other recourse for the safety and security of his family than to get a new used minivan. And we've been walking through that with him in prayer and finally they, you know, pull some hocus pocus with their budget, leverage some other resources, and go all in on getting a new used minivan. And he was so excited at morning prayers just to say the Lord's been faithful, we finally got a new minivan, and I interrupt him with, favor ain't fair! (laughs) And it's so insulting and passive aggressive, I encourage you to try it. I'm thinking about this holiday season because my kids are at an all-time high with this weather and this time of year with fighting with one another, and I'm at my wit's end as a parent, and so I'm gonna go reverse strategy and try to actually encourage it to they're so disgusted of it that they repent of their sins. <laughs> and I'm pulling them aside and go, hey, on Christmas morning, if you get a gift that you think your other sibling might have liked, hold it in their face and shout, favor ain't fair, favor ain't fair. It'll be wonderful, you guys should try it. Like, go home to your family of origins, especially if there are toxic, unresolved issues, break that out and see what it does. Just give it a shot. It's, it's awful, it's like the worst Jesus juke, it's everything that's wrong <laughs> with Christianity today, I'm embodying it, you're welcome. It's on that background that I'm reading and praying through this text last week and I'm looking and listening to the life and the words of Mary and I hear it, favor ain't fair. And it flips on its head for me. And it's not that favor ain't fair, that Mary and her her friends get together and her friends are like, I can't believe God picked you and not me. It's not favor ain't fair because out of all the seemingly 
ordinary and insignificant individuals, the hand of God pointed to her and said, you, you will play an undeniable role in salvation's history and you will be the mother of my son. How can this be? The power from most high will overshadow you and the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Although that's a part of it, as I was reading this text, what brings a lump to my throat is that favor ain't fair because what Mary will have to walk through because God chose her. Because she decided to fully receive and be a conduit of his glory and his goodness, it would mean incredible sacrifice. The moment she says, let it be with me as you have said, she will now be misunderstood and mistreated. Not only her, her husband, and her family. And it doesn't stop there. Once the promised child arises, she will nurture, love, hug, burp, change, rock, kiss, and raise the sinless son of God and watch him walk through the same thing. He will be misunderstood, mistreated, and then murdered by the very people he's coming to rescue and redeem. Favor, it ain't fair. And so let's just dispel with this notion that the second we get our act together and follow the Lord's covenants and commands, that somehow serves as a bargaining chip to be accepted, prosperous, and entitled to a comfort-free life or comfortable life that's free of pain and sacrifice. And I'll bet if I was to have conversations with a lot of you, some of the most significant moments in your life where God's favor showed up and provided for you in an outstanding and exceptional way, a month, a year, or two years later, that very favor cost you an exceptional sacrifice. And I don't know if you can look through the pages of scripture for the men and women that God chose, ordinary men and women like me and you, just trying to follow their God and be faithful and recite Psalm 2510, the ways of the Lord are steadfast and faithful for all of those who keep his covenant and his commands. Wouldn't at the first part say when God chose them, favor ain't fair, but also got to the middle part of their journey and said favor ain't fair as an accusation. I think Abraham may have thought that or said that when God called him to be a blessing to the entire nations and peoples on earth. And then God says, hey, I need you to sacrifice your promised son. You have no way to realize that this will be a foreshadowing of what I'm going to do with mine, but I need you to be obedient. Favor ain't fair. I wonder if David, who by the favor of the Lord is chosen over all of his older brothers and not even considered by his father as a candidate for king, then becomes anointed the king of Israel, says favor isn't fair when the king Saul seeks him out to murder him. And he says, I will not raise my hand to the Lord's anointed. I wonder if Joseph didn't say that favor ain't fair, not only in the middle of his father lavishing love and gifts and affection on him to the jealousy of his brothers, but when he was sitting at the bottom of a pit, beaten up by his own siblings and sold into slavery. That favor ain't fair. Or how about Ruth, who loses her husband and journeys to a foreign land as a refugee with her mother-in-law, only to find herself gleaning in the fields so that she and her mother-in-law don't starve 
as Boaz watches on. I wonder if she thought favor wasn't fair. What about John the Baptist, who would prepare the way, who Jesus would say, there's none greater in the kingdom of God, who boldly declares, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, then on his journey sits on death row and sends words through his disciples. Jesus, are you the one? Or should we look for another Messiah? Favor isn't fair. And it cuts both ways. What also cuts both ways is we need not to forget is the Advent season. It is the coming. And yes, we sing and we celebrate the coming of the Christ child, but we also get to join our ancient family in this collective yearning and longing for the second coming of Christ. When we look around and we see that the child that was designed to bring peace on earth and goodwill towards men, we see hardly any of it in our news every night. And we get to join in and we get to wait and hope and pray and dream and act even in the midst when his favor doesn't seem fair for those of us who have chosen to be followers of Christ. But in the words of Sally Lloyd-Jones, a day is coming when Christ will come back as king and he will make every sad thing come untrue. Or in the words of John, he will wipe every tear from our eye and we will rule and reign with him in glory forever and ever. And his kingdom, his power, his presence, and his peace will have no end. Favor ain't fair, but it's love. And love's stronger than fair. And what's not fair, when I think about it is, how could it be that Christ should choose to include me in on this? Amen? So I'm gonna ask Boggs to come up and have the band continue to pastor us through music. But one of the things that we like to do here is as we remember the gospel and the glory of Jesus is just take 120 seconds to try to listen in to what had your name on it tonight. You came out here tonight and you got to hear the gospel sung, you got to hear it read, you got to hear hopefully it preached What's the one thing that God wants to communicate to you? And then how do you need to respond to that? So I'll pray for us and then we'll take about 120 seconds and I'd encourage you to write it down and answer two questions. What do I think the Lord is saying to me? And what do I need to do about it in response? So Jesus, we're here and we're listening and by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you communicate to us in simple yet sacred ways. Speak, Lord. Your servants are listening.